everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Grace Atwood. And I'm so excited for our guest today, who is Kate Spencer, who is the co-host of the Forever 35 podcast and also has her debut novel coming out later this month. Yes. But before we get into the interview, let's talk about ourselves. Please. What's your high this week? I have a few. I have a few highs. I have a few lows. My first high is that in real time, Bone Mary Berry launched this week. It's Thursday, and it launched on Tuesday. And I'm just so excited. The The feedback has all been really positive. People have really liked it and saying that they're like laughing out loud and they're excited for the next episode. And I don't know. I really believe in it and I'm really proud of it, but it's so different than what we've made before that there was a part of me that was nervous as well. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And you were the number one fiction podcast. We sure were. That's so exciting. I'm so proud of you guys. Thanks. Yeah, it's been really exciting. And Dear Media has been a great partner and have been like putting a lot of weight behind it with like cross promos and Harvey and Sarah have been on some of their podcasts and things. So yeah, it's been really exciting. So that's great. That's my high high. As a little update, a mini high, I was able to defer my jury duty that I was complaining about last week. I wasn't able to do it online, but once I got there, they had a list of excuses. And so basically, because I have travel plans, I had to show them my plane ticket, I was able to defer it. And they gave me the option when I wanted to come back between May and September. So I still have to serve, but I can do it at a more convenient time. So I picked June, and it's future Becca's problem now. So when I'm complaining about it in June, I need to, like, remind myself how happy I was yesterday when I was able to get out of it. Yes. (laughs) Well, you'll have a new co-host in June, so you can complain to her and it'll be fresh. Well, I don't want (laughs) to – I don't want to complain to anyone. I just want to do it and get on with my life. I know. I'm just kidding around. And then uh, because I'm out of jury duty, I am going to San Francisco for nine days. I leave tomorrow. It's just a fun trip. I mentioned in our New Year's resolutions episode that I have two best friends who had babies during the pandemic who both live in San Francisco who I haven't met. One of my best friends and our past podcast guest, Jackie, lives there. And my only client right now is based there, so it's easy for work. So I'm going for nine days to kind of just hang out. Nice. That's a long trip. It's a long trip. I'm spending part of it in the East Bay with my friend Ashley and then part of it in San Francisco proper. So I felt like I needed enough time because I have to visit with three friends plus have some like work plans. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, what what's your high? Oh, I'm pretty neutral this week, but we have had some beautiful weather. It's been in the 70s most days this week. and Oh, that sounds so nice. Tomorrow's going to be 80. I mean, I'm just like inside working, but um, it's really nice out. Great. Yeah. What about lows? My low is also weather-induced. I just can't. <laughs> I just can't seem to dress for the weather. I feel like Alexa's like fucking with me. Like she's just like, I'm going to make this woman's life miserable. Obviously, I know she's not. She's a computer. But yesterday she told me it was 65 and I went to this event and they dressed us for the dinner and I had on a mini dress and it was really, I walked there and it was really windy and really cold and I was just like cursing Alexa for telling me that it was 65. Then today she told me it was 65 again and it was 80. So I'm wearing like, I was like, I'm not going to make the same mistake I made last night and wore like a blazer and jeans and um, my loafers. And I, the place I went to lunch at was like a mile and a half away. <laughs> and I had blisters from my feet sweating. And <laughs> I just was like, I showed up at lunch like roasting. So I just can't seem to dress for the weather. It's confusing that it's February and it's so nice here. Um, it's not a bad problem. I just feel like I constantly mess up with what to wear. I love the idea of Alexa becoming sentient just to screw with you about the temperature. Yeah, I think you've she, made an yeah. enemy. I think I like haven't been talking to her nicely enough. And she's like, ah, fuck her. Yeah, I'll get her. She's not saying please. <laughs> I have two lows. So first of all, I'm similarly stressed about weather with packing for San Francisco. I mean, packing for anywhere for nine days, I feel like is a lot. But San Francisco has such weird weather just in terms of like the microclimates, even in different neighborhoods. So like I'm staying in the East Bay for part of it, which will be 
so much warmer than in the city proper. And then even in the city, like the temperature swings during the day are like from the 30s to the mid 60s. And I'm like, what do I wear? So I'm dreading packing. Packing's the worst. My worst packing was when I was in LA for three nights and then New York for three nights. It was like packing for like 70s and 80s to like the 20s. Oh, yeah. That stinks. Yeah. I think you just have to pack a lot of stuff and check a bag. Yeah. I'm going to check a bag. But I haven't. Yeah. It's uh, 4 o'clock and I haven't even started to think about packing. So I'm going to be stressed today. And then my other low – okay. I'm very curious to talk to you about this. I haven't talked to you about this off the air. So I got Botox for the first time about two weeks ago. I, like, think I was having – a life panic moment and I like wanted to do something. I, I don't know. Anyway, so I got Botox and um I'm having a mixed, a mixed bag experience. Okay. So okay. what I wanted it to do was I when I was smiling or when I was expressive, I was starting to have um lines going across my forehead that were bothering me. And yeah. So personal, you don't need to get Botox if you don't want to. Like I wanted to, and I did it. Um, And so that's what I wanted to fix. And basically, like, they said, you know, you should get it in these other areas because otherwise, like, it won't be even or or whatever. Yeah. Certain things can make, like, your brow droop or, like, you got to, like, that's that's what's happening to me. So I got it and it has fixed the wrinkles in my forehead. I'm making, like, faces for Grace right now. It hasn't quite fixed my 11s, which wasn't really bothering me, but like I, you can see that I like still have it. But what I've noticed is that on my inner eye, like my brow is heavy in a way that it wasn't before. And it's drooping down a little bit and it makes me look angry. And I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing this. (laughs) I don't think you look angry at all. (laughs) I, I need to like get closer to the screen. Like, do you see how in in here it's like heavier? No. Okay. And and that's the thing is I think it's something that nobody else would notice. And even my very closest friends like in person if I showed you maybe you would notice, but not if I didn't point it out to you. So it's a little thing. It's like not a botox fail that like I don't know, certainly worse things could happen. But I'm noticing it and I'm I don't know, I compared pictures of myself to like be like, am I imagining this? So yeah. it's fine. It's not like the hugest deal. But um, the place that I went, you can go back after two weeks if you if you need more or an adjustment. So I'm going to go anyway because my 11 isn't – you can see that, right? You you still have a full-on 11. Like I wouldn't – like I don't notice the anger thing, but you when you bring your brows together, you have it. Yeah. So I'm going to go yeah. back when I get back from San Francisco and – get them to put more for the 11. Um, yeah. And I'm going to see if there's anything that they can do for the slight droop of my brow. I just feel like it gives me like a hostile resting expression. That's so funny. I didn't notice that at all, but <laughs> you're making you're cracking me up. Um, I think it's one of those things that only I would notice about myself. Yeah. Ironically, this would not stop me from doing it again. I would just want to, like, point this out in the future to, like, make sure they avoided it. I generally had a very positive experience. It was very quick. It hurt, but it wasn't – it wasn't unmanageable in any way. So – and I'm happy with the way that what I wanted to fix looks. It's just that now we've, like, slightly introduced a new problem um, (laughs) that I wasn't expecting. That's really funny. So – that's part of my low. Okay. Should we take a quick ad break before we talk to Kate? Sure. So today's episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. They make cooking at home easy, fun, and affordable, which is why they're America's number one meal kit. Is it just me? I feel like I'm in such a recipe slump. I'm just so sick of all of my go-tos. And I love HelloFresh as a way to mix things up. With over 50 menu and market items per week, there's always something new to try. And they have options for everyone, including veggie, fit and wholesome, family-friendly, and even gourmet options. And I love that they have fun seasonal recipes, too. Right now, they're featuring a lot of cozy classics from around the world, like 
beef tenderloin and cheese fondue, miso sesame shrimp and bacon ramen. And I appreciate that the recipes are quick and easy to make, and most meals come together in 30 minutes or less. And they now have what they call quick and easy meals, including 20-minute recipes, low prep recipes, and easy cleanup options, which I really appreciate because I'm hand-washing all of my dishes. I did a chicken sausage with spinach and ricotta ravioli dish the other week, and it was so delicious, but it was also one of their easy prep and cleanup meals, which was perfect for a weeknight. Also, they just introduced a feature that I think is so smart with their new Hello Custom offerings that lets you swap out one protein or side for another, or even lets you add protein to a veggie meal. It's just so smart because then you can customize things to your own taste and get more variety. You can go to HelloFresh.com BOP16 and use code BOP16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Again, that's HelloFresh.com BOP16 and use code BOP16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Back to the episode. Kate Spencer is the co-host of the award-winning podcast Forever 35 and author of the memoir The Dead Moms Club. In a New York Minute is her first novel, and Becca and I both enjoyed it so much. She writes a bi-monthly column for InStyle, and her work has been published by The Washington Post, Rolling Stone, Esquire, Cosmopolitan, BuzzFeed, and more. Previously, she worked as a senior editor and producer at VH1. She lives in Los Angeles with her husband and two daughters. Welcome, Kate. That's me. Hi. Thank you guys for having me. Excuse me. Thank you both for having me. I'm still working on eliminating guys from my vocabulary as a catch-all term for humans, and it's hard. I need to do that. But what are your alternates? I'm curious. Y'all. You know, I, I have picked up y'all in a way that I never thought as a person who grew up in Massachusetts that I could ever get comfortable with the word y'all. It never just rolled off my tongue the way it does for, you know, my Southern in-laws, but y'all has become my thing or you folks, you folks. I'm working on adding folks in a little bit more too, Mm. but it's, it's, you know, it's um, like, it's both important, but it's also like hard rewiring your brain in that way. But yeah, it's also totally doable. I say hi, friends, and then I feel disingenuous. Like, I never really know what to say. Oh, yeah, you do always say hi, friends. Hi, friends. That's a good one. If I say hi, friends, it's because I was about to say hi, guys, and I just panicked. (laughs) (laughs) Now you know my secret. (laughs) So, Kate, I realized when I was writing this outline for you that I actually don't know a ton about you pre-podcast. Sure. So I was wondering if you can kind of give us the Kate Spencer cliff notes up until... Up until you came on the pod scene. Sure. I would be honored to do so. Well, I'm originally from Massachusetts. Wait, where in Massachusetts? Because so am I. Really? Yeah. I grew up on Cape Cod. Oh, my God. Oh, that explains. I feel like, yes, of course you did. <laughs> I'm from Wellesley, Massachusetts. Oh, my gosh. Oh. We ran against you got you all in cross country. Where are you from? Are you going to say Falmouth? I'm from Dennis. Oh, shut up. Yeah, so oh I was God. Dennis Yarmouth. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my family once rented a house in Dennis when I was seven years old. And it, oh my God, I can't believe you're from Cape Cod. This, yeah. Ugh. I can't believe you're from Wellesley. That's so funny. I am from Wellesley, Massachusetts for better or for worse um, because it's uh, it's a wonderful place to grow up, but it's also uh, a very affluent and you know white space that has lots of problematic things about it. But um, yeah. And I, I moved to New York after college in 2001 with the intention of getting into, um, like, I guess I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I took improv comedy classes and I interned at a documentary film company and I worked in retail. And once I started doing improv comedy, it became very clear that that was something, um, that I connected with on a level I had never really connected with anything before. So I got very into improv, became a performer at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, later became a teacher there and was in their touring company. And it was also there that I decided that I wanted to write. And so I started, like I quit a job when I was 25 and took an internship writing and began to kind of learn the ropes of what it would mean to be a quote writer. Uh, What ended up happening was, you know, I was like temping and freelancing and then trying to write. And my mom got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2006 and I basically moved home for nine months to, to take care of her, live with her and my dad and my brother. 
And after that, I went back to New York, like in a grief haze and, um, but magically got a job at VH1. And so I started writing full-time at VH1 covering pop culture and all their shows. And I was there for like seven years and eventually became an entertainment kind of entertainment reporter and red carpet reporter. And I did like every award show imaginable. And I did a ton of sit down interviews and junkets. And, you know, I got to interview like Fleetwood Mac. Cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like it was just, it was really, it was really for Taylor Swift. I got to like produce a whole interview with Taylor Swift and a really fun career at VH1. And that eventually kind of ran its course for me. And I had always wanted to write a book about grief based on my experience of losing my mom when I was 27. And so I, at the time I took a job, I took a part-time job editing a parenting website and that ended up being incredibly toxic. And I quit it after five months. I had taken like a salary cut and had like had to lose my insurance and done all these things. And it was such a bad experience in so many ways that I quit very quickly, which I'd never done before. But my husband and I had finally were in a position for the first time in our lives where we could exist on one person's income for a bit. So, which I think is always really important to mention because so often like finances get left out of um, stories of how people, you know, be our our writers. And I think that's, you know, I try to be transparent about it because I was able to quit that job and we were able to just survive on his salary. And then I wrote the proposal for my book and we sold the dead moms club. And that came out in the fall of 2017. And I was freelance writing and had that book coming out. And that's when I texted my friend, Dori Shafrir, and I asked her if she wanted to start a podcast. And so we did in 2018. And that's when Forever 35 started. Now, when you started it, did you have any idea it would become so successful and that you would have a new career? No, not at all. I, it was like when we first started it, for me, it was just something fun to do in a time where I had a, you know, I was really stressed with this memoir coming out. I had written a book all about grief, which had been emotionally very heavy. It was an incredibly heavy time in America culturally. I had been really worn down by the Trump presidency. And I just was like, I need a place to just like, can we just talk about like linen pants and like (laughs) sheet masks and just these things that are kind of like bringing us comfort and joy because everything just feels very heavy. You know, we started it, we had like a goal of getting 500 Instagram followers by the time we launched and we did that and it felt so huge. And I think in my mind, it was just going to be like a, a fun hobby because I was focused on, you know, building out my freelance writing career and hopefully starting to write fiction. And then it just, it took off in a way that neither of us imagined and it did it quickly, which was again, an anomaly, I think. And, you know, like, I think we always hope that's going to happen, but most of the time in any career or job or creative project, it's slow going, you know? So that was a real, like, oh, wow, we're having that magical thing happen where, you know, suddenly we were approached by advertisers and our audience grew very quickly because of some press that we got. So it was, no, I never expected that four years later, I would like half of my career would be podcasting. And I'm so grateful that it is. I would not trade it for the world. So on your podcast, you talk all about self-care and your signature intro question to all your guests is to ask them about a self-care practice that they um, have integrated into their own lives. And so I'm curious what one of yours is. I mean, your whole podcast is about self-care, but I feel like I want to know how you would answer on your own podcast. I know. And I have thought about this and I'm like, do I not have an answer? Do I not (gasps) practice what I talk about? And then I was like, am I not validating my things in my life as self-care? I mean, one thing that is very important to me and that really, I would say like my favorite moment of my day is my first cup of coffee and that is an act that is actually a very important part of my self-care i.e if we're staying at an airbnb i need to know like that we have coffee ahead of time and we have the right milk that i want with my coffee and not like we're gonna run out at 10 o'clock and find a starbucks like i need to rise to the smell of coffee and have that be the first thing that i do and that cup of that first cup of coffee we set our coffee maker to go off at five 30 in the morning. So it's always kind of ready. And I wake up, you know, mostly a little before everybody else. I just go in, pour myself a hot cup of coffee and it is 
it brings me such pleasure. It's so, it's so, and that just quiet. I look at my phone, I do my wordle and I have my coffee and that's it for me. I need that to start my day. I start every day that way. We want to talk about your book, but I just think Wordle has become such an important part of so many people's morning routines, myself and Becca's included. She's now one of the first people I text in the morning, and I'm not usually a morning texter. And you text your words to each other or your scores? Scores. Our scores, but then there's also commentary, like Mm -hmm. about how hard, what the level of difficulty was, like if it really messed up our brains. Um, Is it a word? Is it a word? (laughs) How do we feel about our performance? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have to, I do my Wordle and then I send it to three different group chats to discuss Whoa. the Wordle. Yeah. I love that. I, I was doing the New York Times spelling bee in the morning and I enjoy that, but that takes a lot mm. of time for me. My husband can like whip it out, but I need to sit there and really figure it out. So Wordle, just one word, it's like succinct. You do it. It feels good. Oh, most of the time it feels good. Some days it's torture, but It is a nice, I don't know, it is like a nice uniting fun thing to do. Although, you know, do we think it's gotten harder since it moved to the Times? I do. I do, but I definitely do. There was this whole article about how it's not. Yeah, all the data science. Our friend Ashley Spivey just, they're like, it's not harder. I'm like, it is though. (laughs) Tacit? I was like, really? Only the New York Times would have tacit as a word word. Yes. About that. Okay, sorry. I will stop my wordle rant. So as much as I enjoy Wordle Chat, we we had you on here because we want to talk about your new book, which is coming out March 15th. So this is airing before it comes out. So can you give people the elevator pitch? I would be honored. I am so appreciate you having me on to talk about it. My book is called In a New York Minute. You can probably guess where it takes place. And it's about these two characters named Franny and Hayes, who they have a very adorable meet cute on the subway that looks adorable from a viewer's eyes, from the people around them. Her dress rips in the subway. It's like her worst day ever. And he steps in and helps her. So it looks very cute and it gets captured and goes on social media. And the internet kind of blows it into this, you know, adorable relationship when in reality, they did not connect in a romantic way. And then when they meet again, it's even more awkward. And they're like, we are not fit for each other. But of course, because it is a romantic comedy, you know, fate in New York City and the people in their lives keep kind of pushing them together. And by the end of the book, they might just realize that, you know, they have a lot more in common than they thought they did, Um, especially that they like, they do enjoy making out with each other. And I think another kind of element of the book is just, you know, the city itself. And then, you know, this magic of having friends who feel like family, that, that was something I experienced living in New York City. And the friends in this book ended up becoming way bigger characters than I initially expected, but I, I'm glad they did. I loved this book. I, I mean, I love a romance generally, but I did love the addition of the friend B story. Oh, thank you. I, it, it was so fun to write. And, you know, I ended up dedicating the book to my husband and then my two best friends um, from college who were my roommates in New York City when we first, we all first moved there after college. They don't know this yet, but there, you know, those friendships really shaped so much of my life and sense of self and also my, you know, my life just living in New York for the first time. And I, I feel like, you know, that's as much of an element of love as, as romantic love. So I had fun creating their little friend circles. I love that. I have to tell you, I, I told you this, I think DMs, but I had planned this trip to New York to see all of my friends and my boyfriend. He was going to fly in from LA and we had to cancel it because of Omicron. And I was just sitting alone in my apartment, missing New York. And I picked up this book and it was such a realistic take on like what it's like to be young in New York. And I felt that I, I just loved the depiction of New York and of course the friendships. And as if, if you know anything about me, I don't read a lot of romance, but I loved this book. I loved the friendships. I loved the per- portrayal of New York. And I just felt like we like knew these characters. And like, I even found myself like really falling for the romance part. Cause, <laughs> but I want our listeners to know, like, this is a grace approved romance, which is rare. Not that that really, not that that matters. <laughs> Does that mean so much to me? And I am so touched that it connected with people. You know, it it seems to have resonated with people who are from New York or have lived in New York, but also people who have never been. And it hopefully allows them to imagine what it's like. But, 
you know, it's New York really shaped me and it's such an amazing place to live, but also realistically, it's a tough place to live. And I wanted to hopefully like capture that and also romanticize it a bit, like a la the apartment on Friends, which is, you know, not a realistic apartment, but it's fun to kind of indulge in fantasy a little bit. But we've all had those days where we're like on the subway, like you're sweating, like maybe your dress doesn't rip, but maybe you just have like a giant sweat stain down the front of your favorite dress. And I just like felt like I had been there before. Me too. I've had so many moments like that where it's like I have been a complete mess or like crying on a street corner or getting in a huge yes. public. And it's just, you know, New York is so strange. It's like an isolating, but also a very intimate place to live in that way. Everybody sees your business up front, no matter what. I feel like my neighbors across the way, because I never close my living room blinds, like must know so much about my life that yeah. it, it, it doesn't really concern me, but like they could probably like give a very detailed um, interview about me in a way yes. that I'm just like, yeah, you're part of my life. Two tech bros who live across the way <laughs> and your kitchen looks into my kitchen. <laughs> I love that so much because the relationships you have aren't just like people, you know, but it's kind of these people that you, you know, it's almost like the, like knowing people via Instagram. It's like, you know them, but you don't actually know them. And that is kind of how it is a lot with like your neighborhood people in a city or even, you know, in a suburban community or a rural community. I totally agree. It's, you definitely don't have that. Like I'm, when did you move out in New York? 2011. Okay. So you've been gone a while. Yeah. Yeah, this um, book is a lot of like my homesickness channeled into um, a fiction book. Yeah, yeah. I was curious about when you left because I don't know. I left New York this past spring and I'm still adjusting to like, you definitely can't cry on the street in Charleston like because everyone would approach <laughs> you and be like, what's wrong, honey? Let me help you. <laughs> in Los Angeles, where I live now, like if you cry on the street, there's just people driving by. It's so different. Yeah. Like no one would even care or notice. Yeah, you're probably crying in your car. Yes. Well, yes, yeah. that is definitely true. So, Kate, I'm about to reveal myself as a total monster because I, when I was listening to this, I feel like I listened to you talk about writing this book on Forever 35 for such a long time. And I remember thinking in my head, I remember being like, oh, this woman can't get it together. Like, she's been writing this book for a while. And now I'm writing a book. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm a monster <laughs> writing a book is so hard. I love that but so much. You're can you not tell a monster. Me? Well, it's just something that I, I don't know why I would think writing a book is easier than it actually is, but I did. I think everybody does. I, I, guess I do. I just couldn't conceive of it as taking years. Yeah. Like that just isn't something I was willing to entertain. And now I know that it does. But can you tell us a little bit about what the writing process for this book was like? When did you start it? So I started with the idea of this. It started just with the idea of this meet cute on the subway going viral and it being a disaster. And that kind of popped into my head in the, like, the fall, maybe late August, early fall, 2018. And I started just kind of fleshing it out. I'm not, um, I don't outline Oh, or I've tried to, yeah, I'm not a, what they call a plotter. I tend to be a real fly by the seat of my pants writer for better or for worse. So I just went for it and started working on it in fall 2018. And then in like February, 2019 is when I really was like, okay, I'm going to try to finish this manuscript and actually write a full draft of a book, which is something I've tried to do for a decade. And the first, first draft was finished in like June, 2019. And then I just kept revising. And it, it's, it is hard to understand the writing process because, you know, when you write a first draft, it looks nothing like the final copy of the book well, it's, in my it's so in my experience bad a first draft is yes, so bad yes. and you only consume other people's final draft so you're like exactly i'm i would love to read somebody's first draft of a book that has then been published and to understand what it started as because it's like no everyone's great and i'm just vomiting up trash over here it, i mean you know my first draft of in a New York minute was probably came in at like 55,000 words. And I was just trying to kind of get, get a very like bare bones manuscript written. And then the final book is 93,000 words. So in almost doubled in size based on my own personal revisions and then selling the book and then working with my editor on the book, she was really influential in how the final book came out. And so, yeah, so it is an incredibly long process and like anything, you know, once I sold the book, you, 
when a book is sold to when a book comes out is a very long time. And I think if you aren't in publishing, that is hard to even fathom. Like in my brain, I was like, oh, you sell a book and the next month your book is a book. And actually it's about like a year and a half. So I, the book was sold to forever in May, 2020, and it's coming out March, 2022. They want a long lead in time to prepare marketing and research sales info and and then also edit the book and revise the book and do the copy edits. And, you know, it's it's so many steps. So yes, it does take a very long time. Thank you for seeing me, Becca. I appreciate well, it. Well, first I judged you, but then I saw you. <laughs> <laughs> so let's not give well, me some, too much credit. <laughs> I mean, I will also say, you know, some people can write a manuscript very quickly. I also, you know, I have two kids. I'm also, you know, podcasting and I don't have a I'm, I'm not a person who's like, I write every day at 6 a.m. I tend to squeeze in my writing sporadically. So I had other things going on that, I mean, uh, that could also just be an excuse, but it wasn't, you know, it's just not my, it's just not my personality, I think, to sit down and like one month later have a full manuscript, unfortunately. I wish it was. That would be a dream. Oh, yeah. I, f- I follow Emily Henry on Instagram and she's like, writing my new book in 45 days. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah. It, like Ellen Hildebrand, we had her on and she was explaining to us her writing process. And it's like, well, I wake up early. I think she works out. I'm I'm probably going to butcher this. Three hours. What, Becca, was it three hours? I think she, she has out? three workouts. I don't know if it's three hours. She runs five miles. She does a Peloton class and she does a bar class. But I don't know what the total yes. time is. And then she gets right into working. She seemed so disciplined. I, I, I could not really. I was fascinated, but also was just like, I'm such a mess. Listening to her. Prolific writer. I've read a little bit about her writing process and it just seems, I mean, she's writing like two books a year. She's retiring soon. The thing that I think is so interesting about her is just how underestimated she was where she Mm -hmm. started publishing books in the late 90s or early 2000s. And for the first however many, she was just completely dismissed. And it was like, this isn't smart, like, even though they sell millions of copies, like, this isn't literary, we don't care. And, like, just the idea that she was able to stick with it for so many years, doing something that you and I know is so hard, while just being dismissed left and right, I'm like, wow, like, the mental commitment to that. Also, she had three children during that time. Like, I'm like, wow. Yeah, it takes so much. I think that's so impressive. I'm just like so impressed with her personal story too. All right, let's take a quick break to talk about another sponsor. So today's episode is also sponsored by Olive and June, a brand that we both love. Yes, I love Olive and June. Their Manny system has everything you need for beautiful salon perfect nails at home. You all know that one of my resolutions this year is that I want to stop biting my nails and I'm happy to report It's March. I haven't bitten my nails in 2022. And the secret for me is that I always need to have a perfect manicure with no chips. So I've been doing a ton of at-home manicures with Olive and June's polishes. And especially, I am obsessed with their top coat, which it makes my nails indestructible. The reason I have to repaint them is because they've grown out too much, not because they, they chip at all. Honestly, the top coat is magic. The top coat is magic. I really feel like it gives your nails like a gel manicure-like quality. Yes. But the nail polishes last seven plus days and they don't chip. I'm so impressed by these polishes. You know I've always been like little high maintenance, like to go to the nail salon, but I've been doing my nails at home. It's it's just so different manicures down here in Charleston. Like there's a lot less places and it's hard to get an appointment and it's expensive. So I've been loving Olive in June for at-home manicures. I'm so impressed by the polishes. The colors are beautiful. The products are super effective. And I love that the poppy. The poppy is Olive in June's patented brush handle, and it makes it so easy to paint with both of your hands. Yes, that is so key because otherwise my left hand looks great because I'm painting with my right hand. And then my right hand looks like a deranged child painted it. So the poppy just makes it look so much better. Like you just have so much more control. It's definitely the secret to at-home manicures. Your friends will think you got a professional one. 
I know. My manicure is so shiny and my nails did not chip. This never happens. And it's also really affordable. So we both love the Manny system with six polishes. And this breaks down to just $2 a manicure, which is kind of wild to me because I used to pay $35 for one gel manicure. I just paid $50 for a gel manicure the other week. Oh, yeah. I can't. I don't want to do that all the time. It's like a nice treat, but I like that I can do an at-home one just as well for two bucks. So we're huge fans of this brand and are so excited to have a special offer for our listeners. Visit oliveandjune.com slash paper for 20% off your first Manny system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash paper, P-A-P-E-R, for 20% off your first Manny system. Back to the episode. Kate, what advice would you give for someone who wants to write a book? You just have to sit down and write and it has to just be shit and you have to just deal with that. It's the, it's the least fun <laughs> advice in the world, but it really is. You just have to be comfortable with, I think we expect the first thing we make to be amazing and it takes so much polishing. I kind of think of writing as like decorating a Christmas tree, like, or, and um, apologies for a Christian focused example here, but it's like, first you set up the base for the tree, then you pl- put the tree in and then you have to actually hang the lights on the tree. And then you put the ornaments on and finally you put the star on top. And it's like, oh, wow, look at this beautiful Christmas tree. But when you started, you know, it was just a plain tree. That is in my mind, what writing and revising is. So it's, it takes, um, it takes work to polish your work. So it really is a matter of just starting I don't care, you know, how bad you think your idea is, or if you don't know what you're writing, you just have to open up a pay, a document or find a blank page and just start writing any words that come to your brain and get very comfortable with sitting with your work and not loving it for a while and just, and not letting that um, stop you. I love that. And I have to tell you, my Christmas tree, I had to redo the whole thing because I, I decorated it and then I realized there weren't enough lights. But you really can't put the lights on over the ornaments because it weighs them down. So I, I, this this one resonated with me. <laughs> Grace, thank you. I, I appreciate that that makes sense for you because that came that popped into my mind at some point and it, it just visually worked for me in terms of what it is like to write something from start to finish and have to polish it to make it better. So, I mean... I want to talk more about your book because I loved it so much, but I realized that our listeners haven't read it yet. So maybe we can talk about some other books that you love. I'm curious if you're if you were a big romance reader before you started writing this book. Yes, 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 yes. Romance is my favorite genre. I have been reading it for years. I have been worshiping romance writers for years. I, not years like my whole life, but as a I would say around the age of 30, I got very into romance. And what are some of your favorites? Okay. I mean, I love, so Christina Lauren, they were very influential in getting me into romance. Um, I had been aware of them from the Twilight fanfic community world. And so I was very excited when they um, started publishing together and they are prolific and they have also just been like very wonderful and supportive. And we are, we think their books are amazing. Did you used to read them when they were like even smuttier? Like the beginning ones were like, yes. oh yeah. Oh no, I've, I've read every single one. I love, and I love, I love all kinds of romance. I will read a closed door romance, which means like you don't see an explicit sex scene. I will read like the smuttiest smut romance. I love it all. <laughs> um, you know, I think like Jasmine Guillory obviously is another like very iconic romance writer right now. Her books I just love. Talia Hebert's books. Um, oh, Rebecca Weatherspoon. Who's that? I've never even heard of oh her. Oh my gosh. Rebecca is amazing. Okay. So she is a writer out here in LA and she writes a ton. She writes like really hot cowboy romances, but she has this one book called Rafe, a male nanny. And he's hmm. like a hot gruff. I'm just going to find it here. Uh, she writes some really, really, yeah, Rafe, a buff male nanny. She writes some really fun books. Okay. Farah Haran is a writer who we actually have the same publisher, and I loved her first book, which was called Accidentally Engaged, and I'm currently reading her second book, and she's just a really fun, flirty romance writer. You know, I a friend got me into Julie Ann Long, who writes historical. And so I read a bunch of her historical. And and right now, like my biggest thing, which I know that you are aware, is that I'm very into Ruby Dixon's Ice Planet Barbarians alien romance series. 
Um, so that is kind of where I've been stuck for the last couple of months. So I, I, you are not the first person to tell me about these alien porn books, which is surprising. It's porn. Yes. Our friend Hitha is so into them and she keeps trying to get me to read them. And I'm like, Hitha, go find another audience. I'm not reading these alien porn books because I'm busy reading fairy porn right now. The new Sarah J. Moss. Oh, A Court of Roses. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm also a Sarah J. Moss stan. Yeah, so like I have no leg to stand on here, but for whatever reason, I feel that I am above alien porn. But like, what what is this? So it's it's aliens and humans? Yes. Or like, have they invaded Earth? No, no, no. Okay. Actually, the humans have been kidnapped from Earth and the ship they were kidnapped on accidentally lands on this ice planet. And there's this beautiful alien tribe named the Sakwi people and they live on this ice planet and through a bunch of things that make total sense within the book, a human and an alien will partner up and pair up. And let me just tell you, it is since November, I have almost exclusively been reading these books. Like, I think I've read like 30 of them because she there's 30 of them. There is the Ice Planet Barbarian series. There's a spinoff called Ice Home, which is like involves new humans and some new aliens. And I'm in that series now. Yes, there's so many. And I think, you know, like when you get into a series and also when you're really leaning into your books to kind of help you get through life, you can get just sucked. Oh, in. yeah. So I am just yeah, I'm just I'm just in it right now. But I will say, like, there's a lot of adventure. The spec the specifics of the world are so fun. Like the author, Ruby Dixon, does such a fun job kind of making you believe that this could almost happen and justifying why, you know, these women have figured out how to start a new life on this ice planet. And, you know, there's also the repetitions also kind of soothing a la like law and order. So is it, is it sci-fi or is it a pretty earth-like planet? It's just not earth. It is somewhat sci-fi, but it's earthy enough. And the aliens are, are human enough that you're like, okay, Okay. You know, like they have tails, but they <laughs> it's like, could I love someone with a tail? Yeah, that's it's truly where you start kind of questioning, like, I guess if I met a really hot alien and he had a tail and horns, like, does he I'm have still... genitalia or the tail okay. is, is like part of. OK, Becca, because uh... like a, a merman, I don't think has a penis, right? I don't know. I think so. I read I read um, The Pisces by Melissa Broder. For some reason, that's been in my brain lately. I love that book so much. And that involves like an uh, uh, like amphibious man. And I can't remember how they had sex in that book. The aliens have, they're obviously very well endowed. They have very nice penises. And Why then they obviously? Also have, uh, I, well, because it's a real, like it's a fantasy book. Like, it's, oh, okay. You know, okay. Yeah. Not <laughs> everyone because, like, knows that aliens are. <laughs> you all know that the Sakwi aliens are very well endowed. No, the uh, the author has made a choice, which is that these aliens also have an extra tiny appendage no, above no. their penis that is a, a clitoral stimulator. So, oh, so it's like a rabbit. It's like yes, a, the rabbit yes, vibrating. And every every uh, human woman's oh. like, whoa! They call it their spur. Oh my gosh! I know how it sounds, and I tell you, I'm I'm loving them. I love them. Oh my gosh. This is, guys, this is my joy. I love, I, I'm so happy you explained this to me. There is a part of me that thinks I would enjoy these books, but I can't commit to something where there's 30 because I have so many mm. other books. What do you do? How do you handle wanting to read other things? Well, this is, I think, actually what I, I need to kind of wean myself off because there are so many books I want to want to read that I haven't gotten to. And I'm in a very like fortunate position where people send me books. My, my literary agent who also lives near me brought me some amazing books, you know, like black cake is a book I'm dying to read, but I've just like been swept up in the, the alien world. So I need to, I keep telling myself like, this will be the last one for a while, but then I keep, I keep just tapping next and ordering the next book. Mm. So I need, I think this one that I'm on actually is going to be my break and I'm going to get back to my other other books on my, you know, TBR list. So I don't, I want, I'd love to keep talking about romance, but I think we're going to, I'm going to make a switch to my favorite topic. Oh, I wanted to hear, can I ask one more romance question really quickly? Okay. Okay. Hey, <laughs> what is your romance trope of choice? I just, I need to know. I love enemies to lovers. Oh, okay. I love it. Um, I don't love, I don't love fake dating because for me, it's always 
feels tricky to actually buy it. But you give me an enemy. It's like, I love when people hate each other. And then the moment that they realize that they're actually secretly in love with each other, it's just every time I'm in, I fall for it. Every time. I also always love only one bed. Are you familiar with that one? Always. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yes, always. please. Sometimes yes, please. I feel like when you ask authors this, you get too detailed of answers. I, we were at drinks with Christina Lauren and I can't, I think it was Christina. I was, we were talking about favorite romance tropes and she's like secret pregnancy. And I was like, what is that? Oh yes. Oh, I mean, well, th- they, those are, I think, I mean, they do exist in romance, but there are a lot of good tropes that are kind of like also really big in fanfic and secret pregnancy is one of them. Or like, oh. I do love like single dad. I mean, I like <laughs> all those choices. I love Stay tuned for the bonus episode where Kate and I just discussed tropes. I could talk about tropes. Oh I God. do love so many tropes. But yes, like that forks, that forced proximity mm. one where you like have to work together. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Mm, mm. I'm now all <laughs> excited. I'm all excited. All right. Can I, can I bring us back to beauty? Yes, please. <laughs> I'm like the disciplinarian here. <laughs> so one of the things that I love about your podcast forever 35 is all of the beauty product recommendations. So we wanted to know right now, what are your desert Island? Like can't live without products. My favorite cleanser is by a small skincare company called Clure K L U R. I love Clure. Me too. I'm obsessed with all their products. Um, Have you done the body oil, the orange blossom one? Yeah. It's heaven. It's so amazing. Um, I've done her face oil. There's a mask by them that I love called Supreme. I think it's Supreme Seed. Any product by Clore, you cannot go wrong, but they make my favorite. She makes my favorite cleanser. Um, I love Jan Marini's BioClear Lotion, which is an acid exfoliant. I use that a few times a week. Um that was definitely a product that a facialist turned me on to. I had never even heard of Jan Marini, but that feels, it feels like a very much like a spa skincare line, but it's great. Grace, are you taking notes? Yeah, I want that. What's it called? It's called Jan Marini BioClear Lotion. So I basically alternate that with a retinol every other night. So I do gotcha. BioClear, retinol, BioClear, retinol. Try not to over, I'm trying not to over exploit my skin and I don't think I am, but that's an, you know, that is an acid. So I would tread lightly. I love Tatcha's Silk Peony Eye Cream. That has become an eye cream that I really love. And I will say what solidified it is that I tried another eye cream that I didn't like as much. And I was like, oh, I really appreciate you, Tatcha Silk Peony Eye Cream. Like you are, you are that good. I might have to check that out. I'm in the market for a new eye cream. I just bought one. It came today. I haven't tried it yet, but we'll see. Okay. I I, I definitely... I like that one. And eye cream to me feels so kind of still very confusing and vague. And do I even need it? I don't know, but I love their stuff. Um, okay. And can I also do some makeup-y things? Yes, oh, yeah. please. Jane Iredale, her dream tint. It's like a, basically a tinted moisturizer with some sunscreen. That is my like go-to if I have to slap a face on. Um, it's very light. I just love how it feels. It's my favorite super light tinted moisturizer. I also love Sedila's, um, their double-sided eyeliner. It has a micro tip on one end. And that is how mm. I have finally learned how to kind of do eyeliner. And then for an orangey red lip, my favorite is this NARS Red Lizard. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with it. Okay. Oh, interesting. I love NARS's Heat Wave for a red orange. I also have Heat Wave at my desk. They, I mean, they, they sent me these. I would have never even like dabbled in these reds. And they're both excellent. Red, red lizard. Okay, I'm gonna try red lizard. It definitely is more. It's lighter and more orangey than heat wave. Wait, let me make. Oh, wait, I lied. Grace, you're right. Heat wave is the one I like. Red lizard, oh. the darker one. Yep. Oh, okay. The one I like. Sorry, my bad. What about non-beauty prods? We talk a lot about our obsessions, like other types of, of products that we've recently become obsessed with. Do you have any recent obsessions? Okay, I'm obsessed with my air fryer. Which feels me too. Yeah, it's 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 pandemic life. We all love our air fryers. Did you get onto like the Instapot or any of the other? Are you a are you a kitchen gadget person? I'm not. I'm 
I'm not a cook, but I'm an easily swayed by other people's opinions person. So mm. if someone's like, I love this. I'll just be like, burp, 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 and order it without doing my research. So that's, we ended up with the air fryer as a gift. Um, and my husband and I were both like, what are we supposed to do with this? It's like this huge robot. And then I cooked Brussels sprouts in like 10 minutes in it as a test. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm sold on this. I'm sold. Any vegetable in the air fryer is like magic. It's so yeah. salmon. If you eat fish, it's so good in the air I've fryer. I've never cooked salmon in the air fryer. Listen, make a plan tonight or whenever you're cooking at home again. It's so much better than in the oven. And I don't know why. But it's so good in the air fryer. Oh, interesting. Yes. I also love reheating things in the air fryer. Yes. Or like a, a frozen pizza. I mean, anything. It's so good in that freaking air fryer. I think we have different air fryers. Mine is definitely not big enough for a frozen pizza. Well, I'm talking like a Trader Joe's mini pizza. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, okay. I was like, I, I was, mine would have to be folded up in order to go. <laughs> I, like, I don't know how well that would work. Just break it into pieces, throw yeah, it just in. cut it up, toss it up. Um, I also, there's a candle that I love that has been, I think it's been discontinued. No. Oh, no. Yeah. And I've gone so far as to email the company about it. So I'm obsessed with this candle. If it ever becomes available again, just trust me on this one. It's Jenny Kane's Montecito candle. It's a minty candle and it's the best hmm. smelling thing. I never thought I would like a mint but it has transformed my life and I believe it is on its way. I can't find it anywhere. So I think it's possibly been discontinued and that has been devastating for me. I'm so sorry for your loss. It truly feels traumatizing. I'm sorry for my loss too, because a mint candle sounds intriguing. Oh, who would have thought I had never been attracted to mint scents, but it, it just is such a refreshing candle. Wait, I have a recommendation for you both then. Um, do you know the company um, Anecdote Candles? No. no. They're like in just like little mason jars. They're really inexpensive. They're like $25, $26. And this one is called Self Care. And it says, smells like face masks and do not disturb signs. And it's a mint and eucalyptus candle. It's perfect. I think you both need it. It's burning in my bathroom will right you, now. Will you oh, text no me the link? Mm-hmm. Okay, Thanks. I'm on their website. And their candles are so cute. They're super cute. Okay, well, I'm ready. This is, this is what I'll be doing when we are <laughs> done recording. I will be buying myself some candles. I, candles I never can stop buying. I, I'm the same exact way. And I have no problem treating myself to an expensive one. I'm like, but it's going to change my life. It's like a it's like a moisturizer. I'm always, yeah. this will be the one. So before we let you go, I hope we turned some of our listeners onto your podcast. But if uh, somebody is diving into Forever 35 for the first time, you guys have pretty prolific backlog. Do you have like one or two favorite episodes that they should start with? That's really a wonderful question because we, I, I looked recently and we've interviewed so many amazing people. Um, we had a really recent interview that resonated with a lot of listeners with winter Mitchell. She is a social media manager and like a pop culture expert here in, in LA. And she really got very vulnerable talking about infertility and pregnancy loss. And it was just a really amazing conversation. So if you're looking for like our, one of our more intense emotional episodes, I would go there. We interviewed Samantha Irby early on. In oh, I remember podcast. that episode. I, I remember that. that. I love her. Talked about so many products and we laughed so hard. And we also recently um, interviewed uh, Kulat Valaisak and Sujin Pak, who host the podcast Add to Cart. And that is a real kind of like skincare product focused episode with a lot of laughs. We had a lot of chuckles on that one. So episodes really run the gamut. Like sometimes we're all weeping and other times we're like snorting with laughter. Uh, so you really never know what you're going to get over on Forever 35, but I like to think we, you know, we touch it all. We cover it all. I love that. And then in the spirit of our podcast, we have something we call a desperation minute for all of our guests. What can people do? How can they support you? Oh my gosh. This is so helpful to ask. The most important thing, the thing that I would be especially grateful for would be pre-ordering my book in a New York Minute or requesting that your library carry it. You can order it from any independent bookseller. In fact, I 
appreciate that so much as someone who loves their own local bookstores, um, but you can get it anywhere. That is a massive help to authors um, because it helps build buzz around their books. So pre-ordering makes a huge difference. But even if you pre- even if you order it after it comes out, I still greatly appreciate it. Um, and you can listen to Forever 35 wherever you hear podcasts. Um, we love having new listeners join, join in and join the show. It's a really fun podcast community. And where are you on social? Okay. I am no longer on Twitter because my mental health couldn't handle it, but I am active on Instagram, which is at Kate Spencer. And I'm dabbling on TikTok, which is at Kate Spencer writes. I mean, I did just make a TikTok about going to get a mammogram. So I'm very much focused on the over 40 TikTok crowd, but you know, maybe I'll carve out a a niche (laughs) spot there. Amazing. You have been such a great guest. Like I think we've both been I feel like I'm going to sound really cheesy. Both been huge fans of yours for years now. So I couldn't think of a better person for my last interview episode to be with. I really, I just also want to add, I was so moved by the episode that you all did talking about your decision to leave the podcast. I think it's so helpful for people to hear that side of life decisions and not just you know, not just the easy ones. I just thought I was really moved and it was really inspirational. And I love your podcast and I love everything you guys make. So um, I'm also a big fan. Oh, that's such an honor. Oh, I just love talking to Kate. She's the best. Forever 35 is the best. She's just wonderful. And her book is so good. I'm obsessed with Kate. I have followed her on Instagram for so long and I feel like I already knew her. So getting a chance to actually talk to her was really fun. Yes. Let's get into some end matter here. Tell me about your obsession. I saw this on Instagram and I am a hair's breadth away from purchasing it for myself. Yeah. So this I got in a random press mailer. Rose Inc. I think it's Rosie Huntington Whiteley's beauty brand. And oh. I there's a few of her products I really like. She has a toner that reminds me a lot of P50. I like the brow gel, but recently I got their tinted serum and I love it. I feel like it's exactly what I've been trying to kind of make on my own, like in the palm of my hand for so long, where I'll take like a drop of Augustina Spotter, I'll take a, dr- a couple drops of face oil and then a drop of foundation and then mix it all up in my hands to get that like dewy, radiant kind of glow. And this does it all for you in one product. It is like, it's almost like this clear serum gel with like little micro drops of foundation suspended in it. And then you mix it up with a foundation brush, sweep it all over your face and you just like, your skin just looks better. Like you can still see, like I still use concealer over that for like my my dark circles and any like really red spots. But it just gives your skin that like healthy, no makeup glow. It does not look like you have any makeup on. I think I'm going to try this. It's great. It's really great. I just did a real, um, I, I'm trying to think of t- podcast time versus real time. I did a real last Thursday with how I use it. So that could be helpful if anyone wants to see that. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to order it and I'll report back too. What about you? So I talked about this a few weeks ago. I got my Dyson Airwrap, which I am very obsessed with still. And one thing I was finding is that because it does such a good job blowing out my hair, and my hair is really fine, I felt like my hair felt thinner, I guess. I don't quite know how to describe it than it would usually. So I was on the hunt for a thickening spray, and I wanted something that was like a thickening spray that you put on your hair while it's wet, not like a texturizing spray that you put on once it's dry, which I feel like gives more of like a messy, piecey look. I just wanted like my hair to have a little something in it when it was blow-dried so it had more like thickness to it, Yeah, if that makes sense. So anyway, I... um. I went on a whole journey, and I ended up with R&Co. Um, their thickening spray is called Dallas, is their thickening line, and I'm really liking it. And the other thing that I really like about it is I don't feel – sometimes with other thickening sprays, I get, like, a buildup feeling or my hair feels gross. Yeah, and like feels like grit. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm really into this. Like, I think I've solved my problem that I was having. Yay. That's great. Yeah. Can we talk about books? Yes, let's do it. Give me your give me your updates on books. 
Okay, so last week I mentioned that I had been reading Beautiful Little Fools by Jillian Cantor. Spivey had recommended it, and um, I loved this book. Um, you oh, have good. to. I read already it. bought it. You have to read it. So this is a modern, not modern, because it's it reads like historical fiction. It, it's a retelling of The Great Gatsby from the perspective of the woman, and it is just wonderful. Like you get to know Daisy Buchanan and her best friend Jordan, and then this woman Catherine, whose sister is Myrtle, who had the fa- affair with Daisy's husband. It is so good, and it has some. It adds some twists to the plot, which are really fun. I just, I really enjoyed it. It has like all the glamour and glitz of The Great Gatsby, but you also get to know the the characters and why they made certain decisions they made. I thought it was so creative and just really well imagined. Great. I'm ready for this. The next book I read um, and finished also this week is from one of our favorites and past podcast guests. We love Andrea Dunlop. So we had read for book club maybe a year or two ago. I don't know. What is time? Probably it could be like three years ago. We had read We Came Here to Forget by Andrea Dunlop and we even had her on the podcast. I love her writing. I think she's so talented. She writes books that tend to be more like thrillers, but they're very well written. They're not trashy thrillers. They're usually really well researched, etc. So Tybal, aka Things I Bought and Liked on Instagram, which is one of my favorite accounts to follow, and she and I have very similar book taste. She posted this and was like, it's Gossip Girl for adults. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm into that. Yeah. And I stupidly th- thought that the book was new. And you saw this on a group. We had a group message with Andrea going and she messaged us about something else. I'm like, oh, I bought your new book. She's like, I don't have a new book. And then I looked it up and realized that it came out in 2018. I felt kind of stupid. But this book is great. It surrounds um, what happens is a girl, um, a woman is, I think she's 23 years old and she becomes orphaned. And at her mother's funeral, her three cousins from New York City show up, except she doesn't even know she has cousins because her father has been estranged from his like super, super wealthy New York City family. Two years later, after all of this happens, she ends up moving to New York, living with one of the cousins. It just takes a turn. Like it is a train wreck in the best possible way. She makes every bad decision someone could make. Um, You just watch like watch things kind of implode and it goes off the rails really fast, like in the best possible way. I couldn't put this down. I absolutely loved it. I think you would really like this one. I, I'm i like definitely going to – I'll tell you about my reading situation, but I feel like this is going to need to go on my on it, my list. You you need it. It's like it's not rich under, unsupervised teens. It's like rich unsupervised 20-somethings. <laughs> Sounds great. I'm still listening to The Other Black Girl by Zakia Delilah Harris, and – this it started to go off the rails, but I don't mind. I'm really enjoying it. Oh, I know okay. You, I know you didn't like it. I think I honestly think this book is probably better as an audiobook because it's really acted and it has different actresses playing each of the women. So I I don't know. It's delightful. It's a little crazy, and I didn't see the twist coming, but I I'm listening along and I'm I'm really into it. I would be concerned if you saw that twist coming. <laughs> no, <laughs> even my even my mind isn't like messed up enough to see that twist. So on my end, I my reading life has been very chaotic because I've been screening books for April's book club. I just I feel a lot of self-created pressure to pick something great that we love, that our listeners love for Olivia's first month. And I've been really stressing about it. So usually I'm a very monogamous reader where I start a book and then I read one book at a time. And what I've been doing is picking up books, reading 50 pages, deciding that it's not a book club pick and putting it into a pile because I do want to finish it at some point, but I like want to figure out the book club pick. So the good news is, is that I think we have solved, we've decided what the book club pick is and we'll announce it when Olivia, Olivia is going to be on the podcast with Grace and I next week, two weeks from now. I think in two weeks. Yeah. What's time? It's, it's the middle There's, of March, whatever episode that is. Yeah, in March, Olivia is going to be a guest and we'll, we'll do an episode, all three of us, and we'll announce the, bu- the book club then so she can kind of uh, give some context there. So I, my reading life is chaos right now. So I started The Christie Affair by Nina de Gramont, um, which you read a, 
a month ago or so. And this is the one that's it's historical fiction. It's an imagination of what happened when Agatha Christie went missing for like 12 days. And I'm really enjoying it. But I had to stop, not because of the book club issue, but I had to stop because Sarah J. Moss's new book came out, House of Sky and Breath. It's a doorstopper. Like, it is 800 pages. And I was like, I can't, I can't read this. I can't, I don't have time for this right now. But over the weekend, I caved, Grace, and I started it. I saw you start it. I was like, oh boy, there goes Becca's weekend. There goes my weekend. So I started it. And the first book in this series, I was medium on. I liked it. I, I like anything Sarah J. Moss does, but it wasn't Akatar to me, which is my number one. What tell and, people what Akatar is, because that's gonna get eighty million. No, questions. I think people are gonna know. A Court of Thorns and Roses is my favorite of Sarah J. Moss's series. And the first book in this new series, Crescent City, I liked but didn't love. And so I was curious going into this second book how I would feel. Grace. The last three words before the epilogue of this book, like it was good, but I kind of felt the same as book one where I was like, it's good. I'll keep reading these, but it doesn't top Akatar for me. The last three words of this book blew my mind. Blew my mind. Blew my mind. I do not know how I'm expected to wait a year for another installment. Like, I think my only option is to befriend Sarah J. Moss and, like, get get pages while she's writing. Like, how, uh, how do I, how do I live? That's the worst. Oh I my felt God. that way about that, those, the um, princesses books I was reading, Castles and Their Bones. And I don't read a lot of trilogies because I don't like that feeling. Like, I want to read all of the books at once. Oh, my God. I'm reeling. I will say, if you have read and liked A Court of Thorns and Roses, I think you need to read this series, if only to get to the twist at the end of book two. So I am not okay. I do not know when I will be okay. But reading has been intense this week. Sounds like it. Tell us about what we are reading for book club in March. So this was my pick. It is so good. It's one of my favorite books I've read all year. It's Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson. It's kind of historical fiction, a little bit of a thriller just because there's this whole story and you don't know what happened and you're like, it's a page turner because you just need to know what happened. What happens is there's these two siblings. They've become estranged over time and their mother passes away. And all that she leaves them is an eight hour voice recording and a Caribbean black cake. And the stipulation is that the two siblings have to sit with the family lawyer and listen to the recording in full together. It is very twisty. It turns out, I don't want to give anything away, but it turns out the mother led like quite a secret life and um, has like really massive family, um, massive family secrets that like kind of just threatened to like change the kids' lives. Like they did, they had no idea of any of this. And it's just, it's so excellent. The storytelling is phenomenal. Um, the character development is great. I'm not going to say any, I could gush about this book and I'll just wait until we have the episode and talk about it together, but it's a wonderful book. I'm so excited. I've seen so much praise for this book everywhere and I love a family saga, so I'm ready. Yes. So that's what we have for you this week. If you want more of us, come join us in the Facebook group. We're also on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And my new fiction podcast is called Bone Mary Berry. And I would love for you to check it out. I am on Instagram at Grace Atwood. And my blog is thestripe.com. And then I have an email newsletter that I'm going to start plugging every week because you only have four more episodes with me after this. And it's an easy way to stay in touch. Got to get it in. Go subscribe. <laughs> Go subscribe. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.